But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. That is Acts chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. And welcome back to another edition of Bridge Radio. And as always, we are coming at you out of the great state of Texas. Texas. That is the A.W. Varilla. He is right across from me. Uh, we got a special guest. He was... Uh, he was with us during. He actually, he's only been on the program one, one time, time, right? One time, and we interviewed him. This is uh, Joey Velasquez, Joey V. Joey V. I've actually been on twice, but that's okay. What was oh, the second time yeah, you were on? With the uh, tracks. Oh, oh yes, yeah. you were. Yeah, with oh, with uh, with Andy. Yeah. 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 Sorry. <laughs> and by the, yeah, by the way, I just saw him at G3. Um, we actually communicated a bit. G3 was awesome. Uh, recommend everybody who uh, is. Uh, who's a Christian, to go and check out that conference. It is exhausting, but a good exhausting. A yeah. lot of sermons, breakout sessions, and, uh, and good stuff. And I was just reading out of my post-Tenebras Lux yeah, Bible man. that Abe uh, gifted me. Yes. I just want to kind of drop a drop a plug in <laughs> for them. Post-Tenebras Lux Rebinding. They yeah. make absolutely beautiful Bibles. I just read Acts uh, out of mine. Go check them out. Yeah. They're awesome. They're on Twitter. They're on Facebook. Yeah, check out their Bibles. I mean, if you got any... Bibles out there that need a little re- need rebinding, send it to them. They'll and make they, it look. They'll make beautiful. them look new, like beautiful, like you're. Yeah, so pretty cool. I'm gonna send my uh, my Hebrew Greek uh, NASB uh, in probably soon. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So um, you were at G3. Was. Right, let, let, let's talk a little bit about that before we get our guest on here. <laughs> what was the most thing that? What was the best thing that you liked about G3? Let's sorry, rephrase that. Sorry, I didn't rephrase well, well, that. Yeah, what was the best thing that you enjoyed about G3? Man, I, I honestly, I when I go to a conference, a lot of people think it's like, oh, well, great sermons, great preachers, which all of that is there. But honestly, I really enjoy the fellowship that's mm. there. Um, I mean, the, the sermons are awesome, mm-hmm. but whenever you go to the bookstore, you just meet a lot of brothers and sisters. You connect with, you know, some of the friends that we have interviewed. Mm-hmm. I got to speak with Doug Wilson, try yeah. to get to Gary DeMar. Um, I ran across Justin Peters again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I was at a booth and, and he was uh, he was uh, uh, coming on by and he looked mm-hmm. at me and he's, oh, hey, Julio. And yeah. so we just kind of chit chatted and just having those conversations, just bonding. Uh, yeah. I got to really connect with, uh, I call them the Banner Bros, <laughs> the, the Banner Bros. Of truth guys uh uh, brett uh pat and sam uh really really good guys but to me what impacted me was a lot of just the fellowship yeah Uh, obviously the sermons were really great yeah and uh and and uh jeremy's solo uh solo uh jeremy's sermon uh jeremy volo jeremy volo on his sermon on uh worship at the side of hell was fantastic it's not out um, but it's going to be on the G3 app. Nice. I recommend everyone to really listen to that one. It was, uh, as he was preaching that sermon, it was like everybody got allergies in the room. All you mm. heard was... <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, you're not just saying that because he's your ex pastor. He, he, it was just and really he's good. a bro of mine. Yeah, no, no, it was a really good sermon. So yeah. a G three conference. How Josh Bice puts that together, um, amazing. So good. I'd recommend everyone to go to G three. Now you said that they're going to be doing it. Uh, the next one is going to be twenty twenty one. So yeah. there won't be one for. No, no, 2021? Yeah, 2021. It's 2021, and there's going to okay, be a cruise, a cruise G3 at yeah. sea. And then now uh, for 2021, it's going to be in October. And in it's October, be on so, so, so it'll be a little bit later. So yeah. it will be next year, yeah. but a little later yeah. on in the year. Yeah, er, 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 tell Josh Bice, Bridge, Bridge, uh, Bridge Ministries needs a booth. We, <laughs> yeah. we want a booth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> in 2021, we'll, we'll, hopefully we'll be there. So. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, guys, so I'm really excited about this podcast that we have today. Uh, Dr. Craig Keener. He is a uh, good friend of Dr. Gary Habermas, if you know uh, uh, him. Uh, he's mentioned in our program just on the evidence for the resurrection, him a couple of times. He has this great uh, work uh, titled Miracles that we're going to be diving into mm. today. Uh, are miracles real? Is there evidence for them? So we're going to be tackling that. Uh, but I really just want to point everybody out to please subscribe to Bridge Radio. We're uh, uh, just uh, any really podcast platform. Yes. Get, uh, go Apple, iTunes. Uh, our bridge app uh, and subscribe share it with your mom your dad and cats and dogs We're ready? let's get started let's get yes. started all right dr craig keener is fm and ada thompson professor of biblical studies at osbury theological seminary he is the author of 28 books including the ivp bible background commentary for the new testament a four volume commentary on acts a, and commentaries on Matthew, John, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and Revelation. Today we will be discussing his two-volume work titled "Miracles: The Credibility of the New Testament Account." Thank you so much, Dr. Craig Keener, for joining Bridge Radio for the first time. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Julio. Um, so these two-volume works, uh, I, I said before that I, I've really been wanting to get you on for uh, an interview. Dr. Gary Habermas has mentioned you plenty of times in our interviews with him. And uh, and he always uh, uh, sort of points to to your work and recommends for people to 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 read them. And uh, and as I've kind of dived in and, and skimmed through the book, um, I, I, I one question that comes to mind is is how what, what was the origin of this of these two volumes? So why why write such a uh, a book on on miracles itself? The immediate origin was I was working on what became my four volume Acts commentary, hmm. and. You know, in, in the introduction, I wanted to deal with the historical issues surrounding Acts. And, you know, it was showing a lot of places where Acts fits what we know historically from other ancient sources. And so Acts is historically reliable. And, you know, one question that, that people often raised from a more skeptical angle was, well, Acts can't be reliable and the Gospels can't be reliable because they report miracles. Mm. Like that's like one-fifth of the book of Acts or one-third of the Gospel of Mark. So if they report miracles, you know, they say, well, you know, this, this can't come from eyewitnesses because we know that eyewitnesses don't experience miracles. And I'm like, oh, yeah, says <laughs> who? Uh, <laughs> because I knew people who had experienced them. I've experienced them. Mm. And so I said, well, uh, let me just start you know, citing a couple books that collect a lot of examples of this from from eyewitnesses, or okay. or even some books that give medical documentation. And eventually, I did find some more. But when I started out, I didn't know where to look, and I wasn't finding very much. You know, the the note just kept getting it was just going to be a footnote, and it kept getting longer and longer. 
by the time it was about 200 pages, we decided it needed to be a separate book. And, you know, of course, it ends up at 1,100 pages, but that was, you know, I mean, if even this past year, I've gotten so much new information. I mean, it could have kept growing and growing and growing. Wow. Wow. And, and you just mentioned right now that you, um, you experience miracles yourself. Uh, can you, what do you, how, how does that look like? What do you, I know that might be getting ahead of ourselves, but I would just kind of like to, for you to no, touch on that at least a little bit. Yeah, if you like to share, of course. <laughs> sure. I mean, mine weren't, weren't as dramatic as, you know, a lot of the ones I focus on in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, you know, when I was a young Christian uh, and I, I, I prayed too loud, so people, would get offended, so I I would go out into the woods to pray, and in the summer, my arms would sometimes be plastered with mosquito bites, and I didn't want to stop and be distracted every time there was a mosquito, so I just would pray, and like within half an hour, all the mosquito bites were gone, or a couple times, uh, I think within my first couple years of of being a, a Christian, I was converted from atheism, so I had I could have the contrast about what used to happen with these things that didn't used to happen. Right. And another was I was, you know, I had the flu, and the form of the flu that usually I would throw up when I had that, uh, and I was bending over the toilet just ready to do it, and and I prayed, you know, not only was did I no longer have the flu, but there was nothing coming up anymore. I mean, it was just completely that happened a couple times and. Um, and then I prayed that I wouldn't have that anymore and haven't had it since wow. um, for decades. But uh, an- another time was uh, I was running running track, and I was supposed to be uh, – it, it was – actually, this was cross-country. It was two and a half miles. And I had twisted my, my ankle the week before so that I was, I was limping the whole week. Mm-hmm. And – the uh, starting gun went off and and I uh, you know I, I hadn't even paid that much attention to the course because you know I was limping anyway and the, the coach said well just limp your way through you can be the last one it doesn't matter just uh, and it was a hilly course which those were the hardest ones but mm-hmm. um, I just I just felt a spark of faith in my heart before I started the race that God would heal me and the moment I started well, it was the only race I ever took first place in. I'll just say that. Oh, wow. Um, wow. And, and years, some years later, uh, I think I've always had weak ankles. I don't know if it was the same ankle. I think it may have been the other one. But I I think I broke my ankle. But I just started my graduate work. I had no money. I couldn't afford to go to a doctor. So I didn't really have a formal diagnosis. But the thing swelled. Just It was so large. You know, I hobbled on my way to work. But... They they had somebody come pick me up and take me home because it was just it had gotten so big, uh, and it never it never healed right. So I wasn't able to run anymore. And then um, one day after I'd been sharing my faith with people a lot, I I just had just this confidence in my heart that if I asked God, He would heal me of that and. So I asked him, and, and sure enough, um, uh, he healed me right there. Hmm. And, you know, it had been two years since I had been able to run, but the next wow. day I ran up six flights of stairs just to test it out. And I had been running 
since then. So it's um, you know, but these are these are not like the big things that in in the book I talk more about healings of blindness and yeah. Uh, you know, complete inability to walk, raisings from the dead, and things like that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, um, you know, if you're going to be expanding on this book and, and the, you know, questions of miracles, I don't know if you if you know, we have a brother and a friend by the name of Jeff Durbin. Um, he recently, um, we could talk a little bit more after the program, but they were adopting a child with spina bifida. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. um, they, and this is, they, from what I'm hearing, they all have documented facts of of just the whole entire process and yeah, they were gonna x-rays, adopt yeah x rays and everything. And when the child was born, it did not have spina bifida. And the doctors and the uh, nurses, nurses were just uh flabbergasted, I guess yeah. to say, and they were flipping over the baby and they were like, It doesn't have spina bifida and we had X rays all the way leading up to the day of and they were <laughs> praising God. And, and it's and it's interesting too because this is a brother too. He's he's a cessationist. He's yeah. reformed. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so he's he's not uh, you know, and the charismatic wing and he, he he's just odd. And I think yeah. that would be something interesting that I could send you a or I could probably connect you with him and and uh but Please. that that yeah. it was amazing. I had chills listening to yeah. to that story and you could just tell it was it impacted him, and he even said in his video, I, "I'd never experienced anything like this in he my did. life, even the doctors." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And it's all for God's yeah. glory, and He's the one who does the miracles, and yeah, yeah. Amen, amen. I love it when it happens to cessationists. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. We should reach out to Jeff again, and be like, "Hey, yeah, are you hey, kind of semi continuationist yeah, now, or you what?" Soft no, <laughs> <laughs> no. We love it. We love it. Anyway, so um, it, okay. So this is this is another question I had. It just defining miracles. I know there's not a really consensus over this, but what would you say like uh, is kind of a general defin- working definition of a miracle? Yeah, if we if we came to a consensus, that would be a miracle. Um, <laughs> so many different yeah. different definitions of it, but in terms of working definition, yeah, we can we can do that. Um, now, through most of history, probably the the most common definition was similar to Augustine's, where it's it's an event that uh, generates awe, and uh, it's it's not against nature, but it's something above nature. It's not you know the the normal common processes by which God works in nature. So, you know, as as Christians, we believe God works all over the place. I mean, talk about something miraculous. Look at DNA. <laughs> that's uh-huh. that's uh, that's more miraculous than any of the stories I have to tell. But we take it for granted because, you know, we say, well, that's that's just nature. Well, nature isn't just nature. It's it testifies to God's glory. But uh-huh. um, but having said that, probably the the most common definition that's used today among theologians would be special divine action, is is a way of distinguishing it from uh, God's ordinary ways of working, okay. uh, which which also glorify him. But this is something that people are used to all the rest. It gets their attention. Now, a few centuries ago, there was a, a philosopher by the name of David Hume. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it all right for me to go into the details? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's absolutely. Fine. Yeah. Please. Oh, okay. All right. D- David... David Hume actually borrowed a lot of arguments from the uh, the deists of his day. These were people who believed that, yeah, God designed the universe, but God didn't have anything to do with the universe afterwards. He, he, he set it up, he wound it up like a clock, and just let it 
let it go on its own. And uh, he he believed that a miracle was a violation of natural law. He was he was sort of following Isaac Newton and the the mechanistic uh, view of of the uh, universe running by law that Newton and others had developed. Now Newton and others they believed that God designed natural law. That's why they even looked for patterns in nature was because they believed there was one creator. But having said that, they they didn't believe that miracles were violations of natural law. They didn't think that the legislator, God, was subject to his own law. They believed that God could uh, act within nature. But uh, mm-hmm. Hume took it a different way. Hume was not a scientist himself, so this is not a science issue, ultimately. Yeah. This was um, an issue of philosophy. philosophy. Hume said, yeah, <laughs> Hume said miracles are a violation of natural law as if, you know, it was a very dramatic way to to define it because, you know, it's like, oh, God, you've broken law. You're not allowed to do that, you know, which doesn't fit any definition of God that, that any theist would have. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it also yeah. doesn't fit modern definitions of natural law, which mm-hmm. are more descriptive than prescriptive. And in any case, Hume got this because he said that you know, uniform human experience shows us not to trust miracles because only the ignorant and the barbarous believe in miracles. And, you know, we just we just know that miracles don't happen. It's against uniform human experience. Well, today you have surveys show that there are literally hundreds of millions of people who claim to have witnessed divine healing. So are we going to say... It's against uniform human experience when we've got hundreds of millions of people claiming that. I mean, I don't think Hume would have tried that today. Yeah. But you know, he was he, in his insulated world. He didn't think that any intellectually respectable people reported eyewitness experience of miracles. Mm. All right. So, Doctor, uh, is there a good reason to believe that the miracles claim of the New Testament happen? Is there internal or external evidence of them? Well, there's a a couple different approaches that you can take with that. You know, one is that we have uh, texts that that report these things, and the texts themselves are evidence that 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 can be evaluated. And, and so, we need to look at the rely the overall reliability of those texts. But then the other is that those claims appear in every layer of information we have about Jesus, and not just among his followers, but also among his detractors mm-hmm. and one source we may consider somewhat neutral. So um, in terms of the reliability of the sources, most scholars today recognize the Gospels to be ancient biographies. Um, biography was a form of, of history writing in antiquity, focused on an individual person. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the standards that were used, they, they differed somewhat from the standards we use today, but but they, by definition, they were supposed to be based on information. It wasn't something that, you know, the biographer, even, even the freest biographers, the ones who were least, considered themselves least constrained by historical data, recognized that they weren't supposed to make up events. Hmm. 
Well, the Gospels are full of these events right. where, where Jesus heals people, or the book of Acts, you know, where, where people are healed through the, you know, the name of Jesus uh, is Paul or Peter or, or others, or, or Ananias, uh, Stephen, are, are praying. We have just so much uh, in these sources, but these are sources that are supposed to depend on historical information. You know, we, we would gather that from their from their genre. Um, they they fit elsewhere what we know of the uh, Galilean environment uh-huh. and, and the Judean environment in which Jesus ministered. It's not something that was made up later, and that's true of the miracle stories, too. Uh, and, and we have it in when New Testament scholars, they speak of different uh, layers of tradition. Now, there's no absolute consensus on exactly uh, what, well, there, there are different differences of opinion on, like, what things come first, you know, which gospel came first, and so on. Sure. But uh, whichever view you take, it's in all these layers. Uh, according to the most common view, um, Mark was the one who wrote first. Uh, according to the source within living memory of Mark, Papias, Mark depends on Peter, so depends on an eyewitness. Mark, like about half of his material before the Passion narrative, deals with healings and deliverance, and 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 these accounts again they have Galilean features, and so on. There's also a source that that scholar that the majority of scholars think. Uh, Matthew and Luke share besides Mark. And in this source, you have Jesus talking about uh, talking about the miracles that he does and talking about cities in Galilee, or actually villages in Galilee that rejected him, villages that nobody outside of Galilee would have thought to have, mm-hmm. you know, come up with the names of. These are, these are names that we know uh, were actual names of villages there, but not something the later later church would have thought to make up. We also have um, Jesus appealing to eyewitnesses in in these sayings, where he was uh, appealing their their witness that he was casting out demons, that he was healing the sick, raising the dead, and so on. You have it also in special material in John, in Luke, in Matthew. Uh, of course, Acts talks about miracles. Yeah. Uh, Paul doesn't talk about it as much, but when he talks about his founding of churches, he says it was happening everywhere he went in Romans fifteen nineteen and Second Corinthians twelve twelve. He says that uh, the Corinthians themselves witnessed this hmm. when Paul was ministering among them, and then he talks about this as being one of the gifts that's happening in their church also mm-hmm. in First Corinthians 12, wow. uh, Galatians 3, 5. And Revelation talks about it. The early church fathers talk about it, mm-hmm. uh, continuing in their day. Uh, Irenaeus in the late second century speaks of a church in France where people often are getting raised from the dead. You have, um, but also the detractors of early Christianity were talking about it. Kel- Kelsus, uh, also um, some of the rabbis, they, they said, okay, well, this isn't of God, but they didn't deny he was doing miracles. They said, well, yeah, these strange things are happening. Josephus, in his Antiquities, 1863 and 64, I think it is, um, he, uh, Josephus was a first century Jewish historian, and he just got a couple paragraphs about Jesus, 
and there's some debate about you know what may have been added by later scribes, but but there's consensus, or at least you know strong majority of scholars recognize that he believed that you know, he wasn't Josephus wasn't a Christian, but he believed that Jesus was a, a well-known sage and a worker of wonders. Hmm. Same same term that he uses for Elisha's miracles. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, here's somebody from the first century, not a Christian, living in in Judea, who knows about this. Yeah, yeah, and and also is it? And correct me if I'm wrong, but it didn't even I think it was Tacitus also said that Jesus was a sorcerer, I believe. Um, uh, not 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 Tacitus. Uh, Celsus. It was a, okay. uh, who was a yeah yeah uh, or Celsus. Yeah, he uh, mentioned in. Yeah, Origen was was trying to refute him. Ta- mm. Tacitus, that would be Annals 1544, okay. and he talks about Jesus being crucified under Pontius Pilate. Yes, but but not about the not about the miracles. Okay, and what about the 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 Jewish works? Not Josephus, but if if I believe, I know there's some Jewish writings I believe that talk about Jesus also being a miracle worker or something like that. Is is that true? Yes, yes. Yeah. Now, these sources are later, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, what they do say, I think, is significant. They do recognize him as a miracle worker, and they recognize in their own day some of his followers continuing to be miracle workers. There's a story in the Talmud, which could be funny or sad, depending on how you look at it. Probably it was meant to be, well, it was meant to be instructive, but you know, with a little ring of humor, perhaps. But th- there's a story in the Talmud in which a rabbi is on his deathbed and another rabbi comes to visit him, and they hear that uh, Yaakov of Capernaum, Jacob of Capernaum, was at the door. He was a notorious Christian, and he was known for his ministry of healing the sick, and he had come to heal this rabbi who was on his deathbed, and the rabbi on his deathbed says, let him in, let him in. And the other rabbi says, no, no, don't let him in, he's a heretic. And mm. the first rabbi says, no, no, let him in, and they're arguing back and forth before they finish. The first rabbi dies, huh. and the second rabbi says, blessed are you because you didn't ha- you didn't get healed by a heretic. Oh, <laughs> wow. And I think it's sad. They should have let the guy in. But anyway. Um, it almost sounds like the beginning of a joke. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. it? A little bit, doctor? Just, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the, a lot of the Haggadic stuff in, in rabbinic literature. Uh, I think there was a tinge of humor to it. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, okay. You you also mentioned something about the early church. I didn't, I didn't know. I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear a little bit more about that. You said that there was... Um, writings or, or something like that within the early Christianity about people being healed. Um, yeah, you oh, talk. Yeah. You talk. If you could talk about a little bit about that, that I find that very interesting. I've I've never heard of that. Sure, Quadratus, who was a bishop in the early second century, he uh, and of course for him to be a bishop in the early second century, he probably was alive, you know, earlier. So. Uh, he may be speaking of events toward the end of the first century, but he he says that some of those that Jesus raised from the dead have remained alive, remained alive into our own lifetime. So you know maybe maybe Jairus's daughter, uh, yeah, Jairus's daughter, the widow of Nain's son, 
and, and so on. Also, you have um, from a Mesopotamian Christian source, the, the first bishop of Arbil in Mesopotamia was converted through a Syrian evangelist raising somebody from the dead around the year 99, so going back again to the first century. But you also have reports of this going on in the second century and third century and so on. I mentioned Irenaeus. Uh, Origen talks about it. Tertullian talks about it. So wow. from, from, the, from the second century church fathers and their, their, their circle of, of people, we, we already have a, uh, you know, pretty much the, the same kinds of miracles reported in the Gospels and Acts are still being reported. And you have uh, uh, Ramsey McMullen, who is uh, probably emeritus now, but um, he was a professor of history at Yale, and he was studying conversions to Christianity in the uh, 300s. And he concluded to his amazement, and it sounds like to his dismay, (laughs) that the majority of conversions to Christianity in the 300s were due to healings and deliverance from demons. Uh, Tertullian says to, uh, in his apology to the emperor, look, why why are you persecuting us? You know, we do good things for the empire. He says, I can name for you prominent pagans who... You know, even though they didn't convert to Christianity, they're grateful to Christians because we cast demons out of wow. members of their family and so on. Uh, he, he, well, yeah, I could go on and on with right. with those things, but um, but let, let me let me give you one from a little bit later, uh, namely Augustine, because Augustine, writing in the in the four hundreds, says, you know, I. I have to retract something. This this would be in the City of God 22.8, as I recall. Augustine says that, you know, I, I, I had said earlier that miracles didn't happen like in the days of the apostles. And you know, he has this idea that back in the days of the apostles, everybody always got healed. Hmm. And everybody who was baptized in water always came up speaking in tongues. I'm not sure that that's, <laughs> that's the correct representation of, of yeah, the first yeah. century. But <laughs> in any case, that, that was his view. But he also, he, he says, you know, I, I don't think it happens that often, but he says, I was wrong in thinking that it had mostly stopped because it's happened a lot. He... Uh, in another place, he mentions wow. his friend Innocent, who had anal fistulas, and the first operation didn't get them all. And he was with Innocent the night before his second operation. Keeping keeping in mind back then, uh, they didn't have a way to anesthetize, yeah. and also uh, people often bled to death from mm-hmm. the surgery. So Oof. he's wailing the night before the second surgery. Augustine is with him praying or trying to pray, but distracted by his friend's wailing. But the next day, as Augustine went in with him to the surgery, they found that the fistula had disappeared. Wow. So Augustine, once he once he realized this stuff was really going on, he started doing what some of the other dioceses were doing. He had his diocese start collecting affidavits, sound you know, solid documentation reports for for miracles that were taking place within his diocese. And he says within the past two years, 
We've collected 70 of these. Wow. And some of the things that he mentions including include healings of blindness and raising some of the dead. Mm. So significant things. And this, this continues through history. I mean, you look at Wesley's journal. I'm skipping a whole lot, but I mean, oh, you know, just to say it continues through history. But the Wesley's journal, um, 1742, I think it is, De- December 15th, he and Mr. Myrick fell sick. Um, December 25th, Mr. Myrick apparently passed away. As far as anybody could tell, he was dead. They prayed, and Mr. Myrick revived. Um, this is not something that Wesley's remembering years afterwards. This is in his journal on that day. Mm-hmm. So it's wow. firsthand eyewitness account as good as any eyewitness account today. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And and so yeah, now 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 we um now we kind of bring it up to t- to today and, mm-hmm. and 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 really what I what I would like to hear from you. Um and by the way, all that information that you're talking about is that in your book? Um just the church history. Y- yes. I think all of yeah, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything in there that uh, I think all of that's in the book, yes. Okay. Yeah, and I really, I've obviously learned stuff since the book, but I think all of that is in the book. Okay. Yeah, and I really like how you have it broken down, even in the table of contents, just the ancient evidence, uh, miracle accounts beyond antiquities, uh, and then even... Um, uh, as you start looking at different parts of the world, uh, especially Asia and the things that are mm-hmm. uh, that happened there, and then Latin America and uh, in, in the Caribbean. So, just for uh, our listeners, our it's worldwide, a thorough. It's very thorough uh, and oh, very man. pretty much uh, broken down mm-hmm. into. So, I really appreciate that that you did that, uh, Doctor. Yeah. So now, now we go with uh, miracles that happened today. We talked about Jeff Durbin. I would consider that one. Yeah. And uh, I know there are very. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's incredible. I'm going to connect you two together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yes, but, but some of the ones uh, I want you to talk about some of the ones that you've documented in this book. Um, and and you know I I wherever you want to start, um, feel feel free. Any any miracles that that you've done research on? Sure. Thanks. Um, well, I, I could break it down into two kinds of categories. One being uh, eyewitness attestation, especially where we have multiple independent eyewitnesses, and uh, the other being medical documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, eyewitness evidence, you know, we use that in courts of law. We use it in sociology, anthropology, journalism for sure, and definitely historiography. I mean, uh, when, when I when I do historical work with the New Testament, I'm depending a lot on eyewitness reports uh, or those who Obviously, I can't interview eyewitnesses from 2,000 years ago, but from the reports right. of eyewitnesses or those who interviewed them and, and so on. But with, you know, it's a valid form of evidence, mm-hmm. and I, I wanted to concentrate maybe especially on people that I know who have these eyewitness accounts. And what what was really shocking to me, th- this was a turning point in my own research because whenever I would... Uh, talk with an eyewitness, I would be, you know, ask these very skeptical questions, try to push them. But um, one thing that really kind of was a turning point for me was when I talked with um, Antoinette Malambe. Now, this was not the most dramatic account or encounter by any means, but it was the one that was the turning point for me. And I'll give you the reason in a moment. I'd I'd heard this story before, but I didn't have the details. So I'm interviewing her, 
in in Congo Brazzaville, and uh, she she's uh, recounting the story how when her daughter Therese was two years old, she cried out that she was bitten by a snake. Well, Antoinette Malambe ran to her daughter, found her not breathing, strapped her to her back because there was no medical facility available in the village. And she ran to a nearby village where family friend Coco Ngoma Moise was doing ministry. Coco Moise prayed over Therese. She started breathing again. Next day she was fine. Uh, Therese now has a master's degree from a seminary in Cameroon and is back uh, doing doing ministry in, in Congo. Well, um, I asked Antoinette Nalambe, how long was it that she wasn't breathing? And she hadn't really thought about that before. She had to stop and think, you know, to get from this one village to the other village, you know, this hill, that mm-hmm. hill. She said, about three hours. Wow. Now, of course, you know, uh, six minutes with no yeah. oxygen, oxygen, irreparable brain damage has started in. But Therese has no brain damage. Now, the reason this got my attention is because Antoinette Malambe was my mother-in-law, hmm. and Therese is my sister-in-law. Hmm. So this was this was in our family, and in those uh, three weeks that I was interviewing people in Congo Brazzaville, just close friends of the family, all from the mainstream uh, Protestant church there, and I'm sure I could have gotten them from other churches too. But you know, these were the my, my wife was from. Uh, uh, Eglise Evangelique du Congo, the Evangelical Church of Congo, which is the main Protestant denomination there. We got we got seven eyewitness accounts of of raisings from the dead, and in my in my own in my wife's immediate circle of people that we knew, you know, we, you know, we knew besides people that I met researching the book, but just people I already knew. We got 10 eyewitness accounts of raisins from the dead. Now, unless we're burying an inordinate number of people prematurely, chances are that that's not just coincidence, it's not just misdiagnosed death, that really there's something that really happened when uh, they were prayed over and they came mm. back to life. That, that was really significant. But, mm. um, but in terms of, of medical documentation, uh, there is there is plenty of that as well. I mean, most people don't know how to get medical documentation. I think it's actually easier today than it was even a few years ago. I think HIPAA made it harder for a while, but I, it seems like now we can get our own. But in any case, um, it was <clears throat> back in the 80s, there were actually a number of studies that were done with medical documentation. Uh, for instance, Dr. Rex Gardner, and he, he published an article related to this in the British Medical Journal, but he also has a book called Healing Miracles. Uh-huh. I think it was like 1983 or so. And he gives a number of cases where where he had medically documented examples, one of which was uh, a girl with uh, nine years old. She was completely deaf without her hearing aid. She had just been tested by the audiologist who had talked about, you know, the, the auditory nerve damage is getting worse. They, uh, she, she prayed, and she could hear. And the parents called the audiologist. He uh. said, 
<laughs> That's impossible. Mm. This is auditory nerve damage. It doesn't just go away. Mm. But in fact, uh, he tested her the next day and her hearing had returned totally. And another another book by Richard Kasdorf, MD, PhD, has a number of cases where he includes the medical documentation in the book. One of the cases is Lisa Larios, who had uh, reticulum cell sarcoma of the right pelvic bone, I believe it was. Um, she, she had uh, hip cancer, and she actually, by, by this time it had metastasized. She was dying. Her parents hadn't told her that part, but she... she was definitely not able to walk and uh, her parents took her to a healing meeting well her mom took her to that uh, not sure whether they believed in that and actually it doesn't really matter because nobody actually laid hands on her and prayed for at this meeting but in this context of people being prayed for Lisa was touched by the Lord and she she jumped out of her wheelchair started running around her mom freaked out Hmm. but uh, well, her dad freaked out when she got home pushing the wheelchair. She was completely healed. Not only was her hip healed, not only did she no longer have the cancer, but the place where her hip bone had been eaten away by the cancer was completely restored. The book includes before and after x-rays of that. Wow. Um, yeah, they're, they're just... And then uh, there, there are a number of, of more recent cases as, as well. Um, it's again, it's not something that happens all the time to everybody, but it's a it's a good reminder to all of us that we serve a God who's sovereign, who's able to do these things, and that you know it's a good reminder that someday this same God is going to heal everything, wipe away all tears from Amen. our eyes, Amen. and bring restoration. And that's part of the message of of the kingdom that Jesus was preaching and his followers were preaching and these signs were following. And, and, and so Dr. Um, Dr. Kinner, you said that God doesn't heal all the time. We know that there's a lot of preachers out there who's saying the opposite, that God can heal us all the time. For our listeners who might believe in this, can you just touch a little bit, maybe a minute or two about that? Um, you have all these recorded miracles and healings and, and stuff like that. And and, and I just want to make sure our listeners know that have a, have a balance of, yes, of that God does heal and we shouldn't forget that. But at the same time, we want to be very careful to say stuff like God heals all the time, yeah. that he, he he's required to do this because I'm doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me tell you a story, uh, a miracle story, and then let me uh, give you a biblical answer on that to some, some degree. Mm. First of all, the, the story is of Dr. Chauncey Crandall, a cardiologist at the time in West Palm Beach. There was a man named Jeff Markin, who checked into the hospital with chest pains, collapsed there in the hospital, went into cardiac arrest. Um, they tried for 40 minutes in the ER to revive him unsuccessfully. Dr. Crandall, as the cardiologist, was called in to come in and confirm the death. He signed the death certificate, was going out. He felt led by the Spirit to come back and pray for this man to have a second chance to know the Lord. Uh, obviously, that doesn't always happen, but he came back. Um, the nurse was sponging down the, the body for 
uh, to get it ready to send to the mortuary and or the morgue. And he came in, one of his colleagues came in with him, and he laid his hand on the man's head and said, Father, if you want this man to have a second chance to know you, I pray that you will raise him from the dead. And the nurse glared at him like, Dr. Crandall, you have lost your mind. So <laughs> it was kind of funny the way he, he shared the, the story with me. But uh, in any case, uh, he, he turned to his, his colleague and said, shock him with a paddle one more time. Now, his colleague was like, we all agreed that we'd done everything we could. But, all right, look, you want me to do it? I'll do it for you. He shocked him. And suddenly, because there the uh, the man was still hooked up even though she was sponging uh, part of the body down uh, suddenly <laughs> there was a heartbeat and it was a normal heartbeat no normally you don't get a normal heartbeat e even even if it's just been you know uh, flatlined for a couple minutes but in any case it was a normal heartbeat and the nurse Start screaming, Doctor Crandall, Doctor Crandall, what have you done? <laughs> wow! The, the the guy was not just dead; he was just obviously dead. He was he was white, but his extremities had turned black from cyanosis, so he was like obviously dead. And, and you know, the nurse is probably thinking, you know, six minutes with no oxygen, <laughs> bringing this guy back to life is is like Frankenstein's monster. We're going to mm -hmm. have a problem. Yeah, but. Um, and the doctor, and Dr. Crandall, you know, in terms of shocking with the paddle, that was the responsible thing to do because, I mean, if you're a doctor, you know, you use whatever means are at your disposal. So right. that was a good thing. But in any case, the guy has a normal heartbeat. Um, this was a Saturday, and on Monday, Dr. Crandall visited him in the hospital, and Jeff Markin was awake, talking with him, no brain damage, wow. and uh, did become a Christian. And uh, Dr. Crandall participated in Jeff Markin's baptism, and they go around and share the story together sometimes now. That is incredible. But but, but I, I tell you that story because there's also a backstory to that, that a year before that, Dr. Crandall's son, Chad, died of leukemia after many, many prayers. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Crandall prayed for him to be raised and there was like a moment where he seemed to come back but then he he died and dr crandall's response was look i can go either two ways with this i can say whoa my faith doesn't count for anything or i can say god you are worthy of my trust no matter what hmm. and i'm going to keep trusting you he chose that course and when a year later the spirit of god led him to pray for somebody else he was ready. Wow. Now, looking at the biblical evidence, when Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God and healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, and, you know, I've got accounts of all that kind of stuff uh, today as well. But when, when Jesus came doing those things, uh, in the context of preaching the kingdom, he was showing God's reign. God's power over these things. But th this was a foretaste of the kingdom. Yeah. It wasn't the fullness of the kingdom. Mm. I mean, it's if if he didn't raise people from the dead so that they were 
they'd be alive permanently. Like we don't still have Lazarus among us. Right. Um, and and if if you know it was perfect faith that everybody would always, I mean, Paul after his head got chopped off, it could grow back. You know, nobody says that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and nobody nobody I know says that we still have. Uh, godly believers from the Wesleyan revival or the, the right, Whitfields right. revivals from the 1700s still living among us because yeah. they have faith. You know, everybody acknowledges that, you know, we don't have the fullness of the kingdom yet. We have a foretaste of it. Mm. But the purpose of the foretaste is is to remind us of God's promise. It's a foretaste, but it reminds us of God's promise when death will be no more. Yeah. And and so it's it's an encouragement on that on that level. When John the Baptist was about to be executed, obviously he's looking forward to the kingdom, mm-hmm. and he hears that Jesus is healing some sick people, and you know that's great. Obviously, God is with is with Jesus, but hey, where's the kingdom? I, I've been prophesying you can yeah. baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. I don't see any fire. Mm-hmm. So you know what's up? Are you the one to come, or should we look for somebody else? Mm-hmm. And Jesus says to John's messengers, tell John what you've heard and what you've seen. Mm-hmm. The blind see, the deaf hear, lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, uh, the disabled walk, I'm not doing them quite in order, yeah. uh, and the good news is preached to the poor. And when he says that to John, he is evoking two passages in the book of Isaiah, mm-hmm. Isaiah 35, about the healings, and Isaiah 61 about the good news being preached to the poor. And both of these are in context about uh, the, the kingdom, in a sense. They're about the, the period when God would, would restore. Uh, Isaiah 35, you know, the, the Dead Sea is going to come to life. The deserts will blossom with flowers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the context of Isaiah 61, it goes on in Isaiah 65, new heavens and new earth. It's... It's a it's a promise of the future, a promise of the fullness of hope. So, what Jesus is, is, is says to John, you know, blessed is the one who doesn't stumble over me. Mm. <laughs> blessed is the one who recognizes that these are signs of the kingdom, mm. not the fullness of the kingdom. I, I'm not bringing the fullness of the kingdom now, but these are the attestation that I am the King, that the kingdom is at work in the world. And the kingdom will come in all of its fullness. And so we can all take courage from that. Um, but I could start going through the Bible and giving you examples <laughs> of some people who weren't healed. Yeah. And, and it's just stated matter-of-factly because everybody knew sin, sickness, death, they're part of this world. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so the, you know, the glorious stories, <laughs> the healings, you know, we want to focus on those. That's where we need our faith uh, encouraged. But, you know, the other stuff, like Epaphroditus, I, uh, or sorry, Trophimus, I left at Miletus 6, 2 Timothy 4, yeah. or, um, you know, uh, Epaphroditus was sick to, to the point of death, Philippians 2, um, but God had mercy on him. Uh, of course, Job, who does get healed at the end, but goes through a lot in the, in the interim. Uh, David, who dies you know, pretty weak and decrepit toward the end. Uh, but, you know, Elisha, who in, I think it's Second Kings 13, it talks about the, he was sick with the sickness with which he died. Hmm. It doesn't pass any judgment on that. 
Uh-huh. Later on, I think it's the next chapter, uh, they throw a corpse in on top of his bones, and the corpse comes back to life. Hmm. Elisha's bones were so full of the power of God, and yet he died of sickness. Hmm. And, and Paul, in Galatians 4.13, speaks of some sort of bodily weakness that, that he was uh, struggling with. So <clears throat> it's not, uh, and there are other passages too, but it's not saying that we have the fullness of the kingdom now, but yeah, let's pray to a God who's faithful. Let's trust him no matter what. Let's trust that he loves to heal people and that he has certainly all the power to heal people. Yeah. And uh, let's see what God will do, because he does it a lot more when we do pray than when we don't. Yeah. Although, like you said about your cessationist friend, sometimes he just likes to surprise us. Yeah, <laughs> so true. And it's Actually, all... sometimes when we pray and he does it, that surprises us too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's always for his glory, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's always always for his glory. Uh, yeah, we it... can never claim it for... You know, we can't say, well, look, this, uh, this happens when I pray, so yeah. I'm great. You know, these are gifts that yeah. God gives, and these are signs honoring the name of Jesus. So yeah. um, we need to make sure we give him the glory, mm-hmm. um, what, whatever he does through us, whether it's uh, gifts of healings or teaching or mm-hmm. anything, it's it's God's gift. Yeah. yeah. Life is God's gift. Yeah. Amen, amen. I was having a conversation with uh, a buddy of mine, James Jennings, uh, and we were talking and I, we have, we're having this cessationist continuationist sort of conversation and he said mm-hmm. yeah i had a friend who was uh, a cessationist and he went to go do ministry over in china and he's like let's just say he's <laughs> not a uh, cessationist anymore <laughs> and and and, yeah. and and i know that we're getting a, uh here a little bit long but that's one of the things doctor i did want to ask um is that do you see this as more of a Western problem? I know you. T- that is a good question. Yeah. You you touch a little yeah. bit on your second volume in the beginning, of what um, us in the West just kind of look at at uh, a miracles and kind of maybe even snark at it or you know no that can never happen um, and maybe not as I think that uh, you use the in the in part four of your volume two a proposed explain explanations, um, you say that for most Western observers, the interpreter's assumption to determine how improbable natural explanation must be before uh, supernatural explanation will consider. And I I know that you were touching, that was just a little part. I mean, your book is, there's a lot in your book, but I I, I feel that us as Westerners don't... um, we, the we idea just, of miracles is really not that real to us. Yeah, and then you just leave yeah. leave this Western society and go somewhere else, and everybody's like, uh, yeah. It might be different. It might be different. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, it's it's true. Uh, there was a, a study done, uh, an estimate produced by the China Christian Council somewhere around the year 2000. Uh, now, this is affiliated with the the Three South Church, so the, the government-affiliated churches, they estimated that roughly half of all conversions to Christianity in the previous 20 years, so we're talking maybe about millions of people, were due to what they called faith-healing experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, the the, uh, the house church movement, uh, at least the estimates that I've seen, and, and these, you know, the estimates, I mean, there's really no way Nobody has actually tracked these, but so these are just estimates. But somebody uh, in the house church movement 
suggested, and especially in rural areas, that it was closer to 90% were due to people uh, witnessing or experiencing or it happening in the community where people were healed in the name of Jesus. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, that and there was a Pew Forum survey done, I think this was 2006. Uh, I'm getting a couple of surveys possibly mixed up, but I think this was 2006, where they surveyed uh, Pentecostals and Charismatics in 10 countries. And in those 10 countries alone, and among Pentecostals and Charismatics in those 10 countries alone, um, given the, the percentages that held those views and that were also, you know, the, the uh, number of people in those countries, it comes out to somewhere around 200 million of them claim to have witnessed or experienced divine healing, or what they consider to be divine healing. Mm. And, and now, for those people who don't like Pentecostals or Charismatics, um, they, they also did survey what they called other Christians, that is, Christians who didn't claim to be Charismatic, who weren't in Pentecostal denominations. 39% of them claimed to have witnessed or experienced divine healing. Oh, now, wow. this was... This is this is most continents of the world that were represented there, and this is just ten countries. Wow. So we're talking about hundreds of millions of people who claim to have witnessed or experienced divine healing. Now, nobody would say that every one of those is is a miracle, and uh, certainly nobody would say that you can't come up with a natural explanation for any of those. In fact, God, this is one reason I don't like Hume's definition. Because uh, actually, God often works through nature. Mm. Uh, I mean, the parting of the sea, the Bible says it was through a strong east wind. It wasn't like God just uh, moved the sea. Created. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so God often works through natural causes. Praise God. <laughs> However, He does it. Uh, it gets our attention more when it's unusual. That's when we call it special divine action or miracles. But. Mm. Um, but it's, yeah, all over the world, these things are happening. And actually, even in the U.S., even though people are not, well, most people are not as willing to talk about it, somewhere around um, one quarter to one third of the people here claim to have uh, witnessed or experienced what they believe is is divine healing. Hmm. So... Interesting. Um, that's not the majority, but it's a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know, some of those may be like some of the things I described that were not as dramatic as yeah. some of these other things. But um, but what, one more uh, observation with regard to these uh, these things. Sometimes people say, huh, how come it happens more often in Africa than in the West? Well, one reason may be the reason that you put your finger on namely that we are, you know, we tend to be skeptical of it. Uh, so even when it does happen, we don't explain it that way. And another another reason may be that when it does happen, we're not grateful for it. We don't pay attention to it. Mm. But um, another, another reason is that maybe a lot of the people that God wants to, to heal, he does so through other means. It, it doesn't have to be dramatic I mean, it may, may be dramatic to be a sign for groundbreaking evangelism, but it doesn't have to be dramatic to be God's gift to us. Mm. It, you know, it's an answer to prayer if it comes through medicine, if it comes through 
uh, you know, the, the healing potencies of, you know, just how our body repairs itself yeah. uh, or nutrition or, or whatever, mm. it, getting enough sleep or exercise, it's still God's gift. Yeah. And I, I have friends from Africa who have answered the question this way. They're like, well, you know, we wish we had the medical technology you guys have. We still have a much higher infant mortality rate, maternal mortality rate, and so on. And, you know, we have to live by miracles there, but God's ah. given you other things. Hmm. It's it's like when Jesus says, after feeding the 5,000, he says to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain. Their next meal, they're not going to need a miracle. God has provided it for them already. Hmm. And, and we should be grateful that we have those resources. We just need to be ready to recognize that these come from God, and that when we don't have them, when we need the manna, then, well, we look to God for that. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Uh, amen. That was so good. Yeah, that was good. I mean, and, and for our listeners, uh, the two-volume book, Miracles, I mean, it is it's a great resource. And, yeah, I would uh, recommend it to put it in the library. Yes, uh, for sure. So, and... Yeah. Well, Dr. Keener, we always have a signature question for all of our guests. We understand that talking, as, as much as talking about these miracles are awesome and they glorify God in, in many ways and it points to the kingdom, um, it is through the gospel itself, the presentation of it, that actually brings someone to saving faith into the kingdom of God. Yes. And so, um, yeah, Dr. Keener, I just want to ask you the question, what is the gospel? <clears throat> well, we've been talking about the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. And uh, that language probably goes back, especially in the, in the New Testament, probably goes back, especially evoking Isaiah 52, 7, where uh, the, the messenger is bringing good news of, of the restoration of God's people. said so to be good news of salvation, good news of peace, good news that our God reigns. So you have the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of salvation, the, the gospel of peace. Um, and Paul summarizes the gospel this way because this, this was the climax of God's acts in history. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel that I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which also you're saved, if you hold fast the message that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So the good news, Christ died, Christ is risen, and he did it for us. Amen, amen, amen. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Keener. Uh, everything that Gary, Gary uh, Dr. Habermas said about you is yes. true. You're a fine <laughs> gentleman, fun to talk with, yes. and it was a pleasure to have you on, brother. Oh, it was it was great to be with you, brothers. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Doctor. Yeah, and if um, for yeah. for anybody who wants to pick up this book, these two volumes, you can find them on Amazon. It is uh, it is by the publisher is Baker Academics. Uh, I would highly recommend this to have it in your uh, library, especially yes. if you're a theology nerd like us. And uh, if you're in the location of Laredo, Texas, you can stop by Bridge Ministries and you could get it here, or we could order it for you. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, that is a wrap. Very good interview, right, Abe? That was really good. Joey V, you didn't even talk, man. Yeah, what did you think? What did you think? Let's get us some thoughts on Joey V here. Yeah. 
It left me speechless. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic Joey. Yeah, with his voice. Yeah, it was it was great. Uh, I I really loved and enjoyed this podcast. It, it went long, but usually these podcasts when they go long, that means it's it's because it's good. They remember that one podcast we did with John Sampson? It went for yeah. like an hour and, and forty five like, minutes. Yeah, we're kept going. Steve was walking by the the, the our, our podcast room here, and he was like, "Hey, you got to come out and help. You help out on the floor." But it was just so good. It, uh, uh, you know, I didn't tell him on the program, but I, I lean more cessationist. And yeah. hearing these things, yeah. it makes me reconsider and it makes me kind of redefine my definition of my cessationism. Yeah, and, and the thing is, and, and, and I think that we're, uh, Julio and I, we would be in, and uh, Joey, we're probably, we are probably more conservative when it comes to these things. Yes. Just because what what we know about just abuses that we see. Right. Um, and again, I don't. Well, just listening to this, like I'm just like, all right, there are mir- miracles, and we know that there's uh, record recordings of this. Good documentation uh, of good, it. Yeah, good documentation of all this. And again, we are not as as, as Julio and I, and we're all sitting here. Uh, we're, we're not talking about the weirdo things that yeah. we see in just uh, a lot of churches who are just like. You know, I, I mean, we're, yeah, the, I'm thinking the fake prosperity the, the, gospel the fake, healings at the, the Benny healing, Crusades. You correct. Know? Yes. Um, again, God does heal. Yes. And it's for his glory to make his name famous amongst all people. Mm-hmm. And and and, and, I, and I believe that 100 percent. He does not always heal. We, yeah. we know that Amen. we pray for people to get healed. Uh, we pray for people to, that, to see miracles. And it just doesn't happen, yes. right? But there's a purpose in everything. Amen. And for whatever that is, it, 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 God knows. But uh, we just seen things, and, and I think that it was, it was great that you pointed out yeah. what Jeff Durbin experienced because he is a cessationist. Yeah. And, and, and he and, would say God does still and, heal. And God, he says God does heal. And I think that this is just us defining our terms when we were, we're talking about yeah. a, a topic that might feel uncomfortable. It does for, for me a little bit. Yes. Yeah, for but I hear it. yeah, for people <laughs> who are conservative, who are cessationists, um, and, and and then on the other and on the other side, you know, for a continuationist, they would be like, yeah, I've been saying this all the time. Who are just really <laughs> wacky about things. Yeah. And, and as you said, Julio, that we need to have a balance when a balance. it comes to these topics. But uh, yeah, check out the books. Uh, you know, Miracles, uh, uh, Credibility yeah. of the New Testament Account by Dr. Craig King. Yes. And I, I like how the brother said that regardless of how God, you know, heals a person, whether it's a miracle or through, you know, medicine or whatever, that it's a gift nevertheless. Yes. Yeah. And that was whole, good that he pointed out. Yeah. yeah and yeah. and that, that reminds us to, you know, keep trusting in God regardless of whether you get the miracle or not, because... If we trust in the miracle too much, we're forgetting the giver and focusing mm. more on the gift. Yes. Mm. So that's it's, it's you know we do have a great God who does great things, and I've seen it. But nevertheless, the when Jesus did signs, they were that signs. Signs mm. point to something else. So yes. Whether you get a miracle or not, it's pointing you to God. Yeah. So that's where we should all look. Instead of saying that, oh, this happened because I'm doing something so great, and that's mm-hmm. not true. Right. You know, that there, like you said, there's pointing to something that's always for him Amen. And, and for his glory. And even faith is a gift. So it, it, yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So cool. All right, guys. I hope you really enjoyed this podcast. This was fun. Uh, we have uh, a lot more coming for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, an announcement coming in the next podcast. Yes. And, uh, and yeah, uh, as always, there's always one question at the end of this program What is your only comfort in life and in death? 
that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll see you on the next one. Later. Later. Later.